Hello and welcome to the Amateur Awesomeite. My name is Frances Duncan. I am an author and the founder of the Jane Austen Society of New Zealand. My co-host is my friend Sean. Hello. And today we're discussing chapter 32 of Mansfield Park by Jane Austen. This is the first chapter of volume three. Things are at climax. It's the day after Mr. Crawford proposed. He does the right thing and goes to Sir Thomas and says, I would like to marry Fanny. Sir Thomas is so excited about this and completely bewildered when Fanny says, I'm not interested. Explains to her all the reasons this is such a great match and Henry Crawford is such a great guy. And Fanny continues to say, I'm not interested. And Sir Thomas cannot understand. He is very kind to her and gets her the fire in her room, which Mrs. Norris has ensured she has not had the entire 10 years she's been living there, almost 10 years. He tells her he won't tell her aunts. Mrs. Norris has a bitch about the fact that she has an independent walk. How dare she? And then she ends up having to see Mr. Crawford again. The chapter ends with the two of them alone in a room together. The chapter opens with Fanny waking the morning after the proposal and the awful dinner with Mr. Crawford, hoping that it's all blown over. She wants him to go away. If Mr. Crawford would but go away, that was what she most earnestly desired. Go and take his sister with him. (laughs) Mrs. Norris is still in the house, so she can hide in the East Room when she sees Mr. Crawford come up to the house. We assume Mrs. Norris stayed the night to be there that early in the morning. Bearing in mind that this is winter, even though it's only a walk, it's not obviously a very long walk to her house, but in the winter for an elderly lady, they would need the carriage so they wouldn't do it. She would have a place there. Fanny is hiding in her room when she hears, this is quite ominous, a heavy step, an unusual step in that part of the house. It was her uncle's. She knew it as well as his voice. She trembled at it as often and began to tremble again. She's already feeling agitated. And the only time he would have come to the schoolroom previously, she would be remembering her childhood when he would come up. Examining her French and English. He notices she doesn't have a fire. She mentions Mrs. Norris. And he doesn't want to hear any more. He doesn't need to hear any more. He's picked up on Mrs. Norris. Become absolutely blatantly obvious to him since he's come back. He says, I can perfectly comprehend. I know what her sentiments have always been. But I think too well of you, Fanny, to suppose you will ever harbour resentment on that account, which is correct. She thinks as lowly of herself as Mrs. Norris does. Mrs. Norris has been preparing you for that mediocrity of condition which seemed to be your lot. It was kindly meant. He's pushing it to say it's kindly meant because it isn't. But he's also again of that generation where... You must respect your elders. You still must respect your elders. And she's never showed disrespect. He starts to tell Fanny that Mr. Crawford has turned up. She knows what's going on and she turns away, is so embarrassed. And he turns away his own eyes to give her the space that she needs, which I think is really lovely. He really has. And this chapter, I think, really just brings it out more for all the angst. He is really a very positive character and a really caring character. His problem in this chapter, he cannot understand where she's coming from because, of course, unlike Fanny and ourselves, who have been privy to the earlier chapters, he's not seeing all this history. So he can only make his comments and his feelings and his opinions felt based on what he's observed up till now, and there's nothing to be concerned about. Fanny listens with perturbation and dismay, then bursts out with, 
I told him enough yesterday to convince him, Mr. Crawford this is, without disguise that it was very disagreeable to me and quite out of my power to return his good opinion. I gave him no encouragement yesterday. I said that it was very unpleasant to me in every respect and I begged him never to talk to me in that manner again. She also says that she was still not quite certain of his meaning anything seriously. That I think is quite key, because up till then she'd seen his flirty behaviour, and she would inevitably think he wasn't necessarily being serious. He was just doing the same sort of flirting he was doing with Julia and Mariah. There's nobody else to play with, so he's going to play with my feelings. You can imagine Julia and Mariah going, oh my God, he proposed, and telling everyone immediately there would be no backing out. So it's a bit hard to understand where she's coming from. Is she thinking that he wants her to say yes for him to go, ha ha, I was just kidding? Or does she just not realise that's exactly what he's planning, is proposing, not just teasing her about it? I don't think she's worried about thinking that he's teasing. I think that she'd almost prefer that. Than him being sincere? Yes. This is a really uncomfortable chapter to read and we tend to rush through it because it's painful and we don't want to look at Fanny getting yelled at. But Sir Thomas never yells at her. He doesn't raise his voice. He is angry, but he's mostly confused. He can't see where she's coming from. He's like, this is a great thing. This man has everything to recommend him. His situation in life, fortune, character, he's agreeable. He has a dress and great conversation. You've known him for some time. His sister is your intimate friend. <laughs> He's done this thing for William. And Fanny feels almost ashamed of herself after such a picture for not liking Mr. Crawford. But of course, the thing is, she's not Mary's intimate friend. She doesn't trust Mary as fast as she can throw her, just as much as she doesn't trust Henry. She did acknowledge, and she was very grateful for what he's done for William. But that is not enough within this time frame for her to have had a change of heart about his behaviour. If he had done this thing and given her some space, she might have grown some affection for him because he did this wonderful thing for her brother. Think again, parallel, Pride and Prejudice, what Darcy did for Lydia. And he did not advertise it in any shape or form. She actually had the opportunity to see him without knowing what he'd done and actually see his behaviour change and recognise that actually he was the kind of man that she wanted to have a relationship with. Henry's using this as a lever. Sir Thomas is making a really good argument, not only about his great points, but I never perceived his attentions to be unpleasant to you. He is actually confused. He was excited to come upstairs and tell her this. This is the most fabulous news for his impecunious niece. And it has nothing to do with him thinking, oh great, I'm getting it off his hands. He is truly excited for this wonderful opportunity. Yes, the fact that she's been in his house has given her the chance to meet someone like this. But actually, it's purely excitement for her. And he's just completely flummoxed. Because she's not even saying, oh, I'm really surprised and and, and it's just too soon or... You know, I need to think about this. Can I have a period of courting or anything? She is knowing better. She was absolutely no. It's not happening. Will not be convinced. He asks her why. She would rather die than own the truth. Her ill opinion of him was founded chiefly on observations, which for her cousin's sake, she could scarcely dare mention. 
she could not tell him why, because it would look badly on his own children. He's concerned about his sons. He mentions that Tom is not likely to marry soon, but Edmund is likely to marry soon. I think he's found someone, don't you think? And Fanny says, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's painful, Sir, but yep. Yeah. <laughs> so Sir Thomas was easy on the score of the cousins because he suspected, it turns out quite rightly, that perhaps she held a tenderness for one of her male cousins. He does say some very hurtful things. I had thought you peculiarly free from willfulness of temper, self-conceit, and every tendency to that independence of spirit, which prevails so much in modern days, even in young women, and which in young women is offensive and disgusting beyond all common offense. You have shown me to be willful and perverse. It is. It also says something about the way that he expects people to act his children should defer to him particularly the females in the family but you can understand why they may have been frightened of him as younger he would have been hurt and think it a gross violation of duty and respect if either of his daughters had been proposed to and not come to him for advice and he does think of fanny as as his daughter as his daughter So it isn't just the fact she's saying no, it is the fact that she's saying no in such a way of finality and without giving him an opportunity or saying this is such a big social change, I'm only the poor relation. You could imagine him expecting her to ask for advice because it would be a substantial change of status. So he could see that as being quite a rational reason, the fear of that to say no. There's a lot more that she's not able to tell him. All she can say is I don't like him. He is disappointed and says, you think only of yourself. He clearly lists her parents, her brothers and sisters, and how they would have benefited as well. He is, again, making a good point. Women had a duty to their family at this period in time to marry well. In some cultures, they still have that duty. He thinks that it's the lack of love what a young heated fancy imagines to be necessary for happiness. And that is why you resolve to refuse him without wishing even for a little time to consider of it. If she'd come back and said, I really don't love him, he would have been able to say, but you obviously can get on with him. Give yourself time to get to know each other better. If the gentleman would but persevere, Sir Thomas began to have hopes. He does use the word ingratitude. By this time, Fanny is crying bitterly. Self-willed, obstinate, selfish, and ungrateful. He thought her all this. She had deceived his expectations. She had lost his good opinion. And this has been so wonderful to her since he's been back that they have had this relationship. And now she feels she's lost everything. The past, present, future, everything was terrible. Selfish and ungrateful to have appeared so to him. She was miserable forever. And everyone would think her selfish and ungrateful. She's catastrophizing at this point. Yes. It's never going to end. The entire family's going to know and hate me. It's a lot. On a young woman in that time. Sir Thomas makes good argument. You know, his heated words are because he's also upset. He can't understand. He's come up this so exciting. And to him, she's thrown it in his face, thrown away this opportunity. So he's naturally going to be more vocal and outspoken. And I'm so disappointed. I cannot understand. Why are you rejecting this? You seem so rational, but this seems totally irrational because she cannot tell him. 
this is the first time we both said in reading this that we could actually understand where Sir Thomas is coming from. You can sense his excitement and then sense his disappointment. And the arguments he's making do make sense for that situation and that time period. We may not agree with them now, but at the time it made perfect sense. Yep. He gets rid of Mr. Crawford after trying to get her to come and see him, but she's crying and he says, okay, you know what, this isn't going to work. I don't want him to see you like this. And she's almost ready to faint when her uncle comes back up. But then he says, if he should wish to speak with you alone, a request too natural, a claim too just to be denied. I disagree with this bit. I think he is acting wrong here by saying, you have rejected this man. However, if he wants to spend time alone with you, I'm going to let him. You don't get a say in the matter. That bothers me. I think it does sound unreasonable, but I think what he's really saying here is now he's gone through the proper channels, he should have the opportunity to formally ask. And she owes him that because of just how she appears to have been quite pleasant with him. But the key thing is, he's going to give her time. He's not expecting her to go down straight there while she's in an absolute mess. He advises her to go for a walk, tells her he's not going to let her aunts know. That is such a kind thing. Well, he can't exactly confide in either of them. No, he can't. Who does Thomas have to talk to? He doesn't. He would like to have had his eldest son. He really has Edmund more than anybody, but Edmund's not there. Sir Thomas needs a friend. Sir Thomas was making friends with Fanny. She's the one that talks to him at dinner times about things that he's been involved with, even if they may not be suitable conversations always, um, you know, about the slave trade and things. You know, over this time, you've seen him developing this relationship of actually enjoying her company. Mrs Norris, oh my God. Her aunt was soon quarrelling with her, and when she found out how much and how unpleasantly her having only walked out without her aunt's knowledge could be dwelt on, she realises how painful it would have been had Mrs Norris known about the proposal. I could very ill spare the time you might have saved me the trouble. It would have made no difference to you, I suppose, whether you had walked in the shrubbery or gone to my house. Sue Thomas tries to intercede, and she says, You do not know how dry the path is to my house. It is all her fault. There is a something about Fanny. I have often observed it before. She likes to go her own way to work. She does not like to be dictated to. She has a little spirit of secrecy and independence and nonsense. Sir Thomas thinks this is unjust, even though he had been so lately expressing the same sentiments himself. (laughs) It's so ironic, isn't it? He was saying it in the heat of the moment. But it's not what he believes. It isn't what he believes. Mrs Norris ends up quarrelling with her about half the way through the dinner, even though Sir Thomas tried repeatedly to turn the conversation. Mrs Norris had not discernment enough to perceive to what degree he thought well of his niece or how very far he was from wishing to have his own children's merits set off by the depreciation of hers. He's like... I care about my niece. Don't you be talking down to her. Don't you be saying you're not as pretty as your cousins. That is not okay. The incident with the fire, this type of incident, all the other incidents, he must now be aware of the potential impact that that's had on Fanny. He makes the comment earlier, she was all doing it out of the kindness, so she didn't get 
above the station. We want you to be used to cold rooms because you won't be able to afford warm rooms. She was doing this because she thought it would be a good lesson. But of course she was doing it because she could. It was a power play. Potentially this was Sue Thomas's explanation for her actions. Trying to rationalise them. Fanny considers her uncle a good man and therefore thinks that he must feel how wretched and how unpardonable, how hopeless and how wicked it was to marry without affection. Yes, to a certain extent you do marry for status in a home. But you should still have affection for the person that you're marrying. However, having said this, Fanny did witness him marry Mariah to Mr. Rushworth when it was very clear that Mariah hated him. But he also gave Mariah the choice to back out, and Mariah refused. That's true. He did give her her choice. He did not insist upon it. It was her choice in the end. And he couldn't force her not to marry Mr. Rushworth. How could he do it in such a way that wouldn't reflect badly on Mr. Rushworth when Mr. Rushworth had done nothing wrong? Side note, I watched a really good video today talking about Mr. Rushworth in Mansfield Park and his guilt. He's not an admirable man by any stretch. Fanny would not, could not, believe that Mr. Crawford's affection for her could distress him long. His mind was not of that sort. London would soon bring its cure. Is not wrong there, is she? And that's the difference. He is not a steady character. Mr. Crawford turns up again that very night to speak with her alone. Sir Thomas is called out of the room. Then the butler comes in and calls for Fanny, and Mrs. Norris bitches at her, saying, You are so very eager to put yourself forward. Obviously, the butler is asking for her, not Fanny. And the butler is so funny, has a little half smile. Which means, I do not think you would answer the purpose at all. (laughs) Not to mention, I suspect by now, the staff have actually probably gained quite a bit of respect for Fanny. And not for Mrs Norris, because she's constantly meddling. She's not only meddling, she's constantly making their life miserable. At the ball, she was trying to tell the housekeeper what food she wanted, even though it had already been organised. The carpenter. As I said, we're able to see it from a perspective that is not available to Sir Thomas. And that makes all the difference. Because we know the whole story. Yes. We know everything that's been going on. It's really fascinating how Jane Austen is able to show us so many different perspectives and pieces of information that is not available to all the characters in the novel. Fanny was not present in the conversations between Henry and Mary about her. And this is the sort of thing that isn't often done in modern novels because even when you have third-person perspective, you're still focused on one character. Therefore, you see what they see and you know what they know most of the time. That is our summary of Chapter 32 of Mansfield Park by Jane Austen. My name is Frances Duncan. You can find me at francisduncanwrites.com and on Twitter at Francis underscore Duncan. Thank you for listening and we wish you happy reading. Just popping back in to let you guys know that we have merch now. I haven't actually got merch with my face on it. That seems a little weird to me, but if you really want it, let me know and I'll do that. There's merch of the Jane Austen Society of Aotearoa New Zealand's logo, uh, some Jane Austen merch and some Pride and Prejudice Heavily Pride focus merch too. 
It's on Redbubble and the link is in the notes. Happy buying!